On episode 97 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, tough love marketing advice with Qasem Islam. And your content needs to be 10 times better than anybody else's content on that topic. If you can't do that, don't do it. You suck. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Randy Lane. On today's podcast, we're talking with Qasem Eslam. He's the founder and CEO of Solutions 8. They do pay-per-click marketing for businesses all over the world. We talk about the things you need in place before you even start your marketing campaign and what marketing efforts you should be spending your time on. Hey guys, look how many likes I got you. Look how many comments there are here. Look how many people are sharing your post. Well, did it result in a lead? Is the lead converting? Are they mission appropriate? Are they high value? Am I actually making any money? For every dollar I put in, how many dollars do I get out? And now here's Kasim. So welcome to the podcast, Kasim, like awesome. Is that right? You did it. Okay, excellent. For those who are listening, can you kind of just introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you? Yeah, my name is Kasim. I run the greatest digital marketing agency on the planet. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> oh, no. I know. I've been doing it for uh, over a decade now, going on 12 years. Actually, past 12 years, going on 13 years. You know, it's funny you say the same thing over and over again, going on 12 years. <laughs> I've been saying that for about two years now. Uh, serial entrepreneur. Dabble in a few different companies and verticals and wrote a book recently that did okay. And now I'm running around trying to make myself nerd famous. So what does nerd famous to you mean? I don't want to be like legit famous because I feel like <laughs> those people have no life and no privacy and I'm, I'm not talented enough to pull it off anyway. But I want to be, I want to be nerd famous. Like people in my indus- industry, I want them to go up and be like, oh my gosh, aren't you the guy that, you know, insert whatever notorious <laughs> thing I did there. Excellent. Like Ryan Dice is nerd famous, you know, like he can walk around Target and not have a problem at all. But God bless him if he walks into a Best Buy because people are going to tackle him. <laughs> That's what I'd also like to be, but I don't think I'll ever get there. <laughs> well, it's so far, it's, it's been an uphill battle. I'll say that much. Excellent. So when I was kind of reading through your bio and seeing kind of what you were doing, it, it seemed to me like you were kind of a, a marketing expert. The kind of work that we do here at 360 Solutions is is organizational development, so kind of helping organizations who are struggling kind of learn the best way to get back on track, become profitable. And I'm sure you found, as we have found, that the messaging is really, really important, and it's a place where a lot of businesses struggle. They may have their organization running well, but their messaging out to their customers is not working, and so they're not getting those sales. Is that something that you experience? Yeah, this is going to get a little combative, actually. But what I've sort of taken to telling clients now is we're not you're not here to test me. I'm here to help you test your model and your market. We're AdWords assassins. I focus on paid traffic. And so when it comes to driving traffic, generating leads, you're in an organic ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And to your point, the Internet is nothing more than a conduit for content dissemination. Right. So if we want to distill it down to the absolute bare necessity, your messaging is critically important. And if your messaging doesn't resonate with who you tell me your avatar is, then you're not going to have a market message fit. And without a market message fit, you're not going to have conversion. Without conversion, you're not going to make any money. So digital marketing in a lot of ways, so many people turn to agencies and and digital marketers, you know, thinking like we need to make it work. We're not going to do any of that. We're equipped with the tools to help you test your organization and your product against the market that you think you're equipped to serve. And so if you're a tenured business, you have a better opportunity of surviving digital marketing than if your brand's making new, because now I'm not just testing, you know, an online conduit for you. I'm testing your entire business model. So yeah, messaging is 
critically important and so many people glaze over it you know oh yeah we spent 45 minutes in the boardroom coming up with a mission statement <laughs> like all right let's just throw that against you know you're going to spend fifty thousand dollars driving paid traffic to a website that you know you had some va build you it's mm. interesting the direction that people have gone with that i feel like it gets such amazing lip service but not nearly as much time as is necessary to really invest in building it out and i'm sorry i got really semi-angry there but i've had no it's okay that's how it works so i noticed you threw around some terms that our audience may not be completely familiar with so one of the things i wanted to go back to is avatar is that kind of like a profile of the type of customer you're trying to reach profile is a great way to put it you don't want to talk target demographic because target demographic is too broad it's diluted so one example i'll give you for a while there we were focusing on naturopathic physicians it was a vertical i was targeting really heavily for my business but within naturopathic physicians we identified two very distinct verticals. You have your old, grizzled, ready to retire doctor. We called him Dr. Mike. And he's got a ton of money, but Dr. Mike hates all things digital marketing. He hates the internet. He prints out his emails and he, he wants to get out. He wants to find somebody to assume his role or sell. And then you have Dr. Sally and Dr. Sally's young, fresh out of naturopathic school and she's got no money, but she, she gets it and she really enjoys sort of, you know, the outreach and the content creation, and that sort of thing. What's really interesting about Dr. Mike and Dr. Sally is they're two very distinct avatars, but they're in the same target demographic. And mm. that's one example that only has two. Most demographic examples I think have, can have 50. Mm-hmm. So never, ever, ever talk to a marketer about demographics. They will take your advice, but it's too broad. You want to go avatar specific. You want to name the person. The way I like to contextualize this is you want to know them well enough to play them in a movie. What do they eat? <laughs> what do they drink? Where, where, how, how long do they sleep? What, what do they like to do? What are their fears? Who are their children? You know what I mean? Like where do they go on vacation? And when you know somebody enough to love them, and I realize this is going to get really weird and touchy feely, but I actually believe this. When you know somebody well enough to love them, because I don't think you can know somebody without loving them, then you know them well enough to market to them. It's why empathy is the most powerful word in the English language. You have to really get inside of their head and then you can speak to them according to their context and and from their paradigm. Hmm. And that's why avatar is so critically important. I have a very interesting kind of connected story. Um, I used to work for a TV station and we had a a meeting one day and the station GM walked in with a mannequin. It was (laughs) a fake woman walked in and said, this is Nancy. And we're all like, um, okay. And he goes, this is our demographic. The people that we are not getting to watch the show that we want to watch the show are mothers of this age group or whatever. So I'm going to put her here in the conference room. And I want you guys, when you're writing your stories, I want you to remember to write your story to Nancy, something that she's going to like. And it's kind of maybe a more literal idea of what you're kind of going for when you're talking about really getting to know the person who's your potential customer. Yeah, but that's brilliant. And it makes an impact. It's that constant reminder that, hey, I need to speak because, you know, as as marketers and business owners and entrepreneurs and salespeople, we're always speaking from our paradigm. We're telling you what we want you to buy, what we want you to do, where we want you to go. And, you know, if we can remember to just stop and empathize with people, then you, you position yourself to begin providing them with value. And when you can do that, you own them in a really good way. So we kind of started on down that road, but I kind of want to start with the foundation. So if you're working with an organization that doesn't have a good message, doesn't know who they're trying to target, you know, finding that avatar is a good foundational element, I'm assuming. And then what are some other foundational elements that you start with when you work with a company? You need to know exactly what you're selling. And I realize that sounds sort of obtuse to even say that out loud, but you know, you might be selling tires but you're not selling me tires, you're selling me safety or you're selling me reliability. Hmm. You're selling me peace of mind potentially. You know, like I really like, I forgot the tire company that did it, 
but they said something like, you know, your whole life is riding on this. And it, it was a wonderful play on words. And then they've got a picture of, you know, two cute little kids in car seats in the back and all automatically I'm like, I need brand new tires. <laughs> so I think we need to get really clear on what we're selling. And there's that whole old adage that says features tell benefits sell. And, and again, most business owners approach their product or their service like they're engineers. You know, like, oh, well, I have this sprocket and this sprocket does these 15 things. And and I just want to reach past that and figure out, like, how are we touching people's hearts? Like, how are we really getting through to changing their status in life or, or impacting their, their every day? And those are the things that we want to talk about. So going back to your initial point about messaging, know what you're selling and realize that what you're selling isn't your widget. It's not it. It's something so much more than that. People you know, they, they might shop with their minds, but they buy with their hearts. And so you really need to appeal to the emotional aspect of folks. Is there anything else that people need to do? So I'm, I'm thinking I understand the idea of the empathy and trying to really get that uh, message to your customer in a heartfelt way. But how do I, if I'm not really good at this, how do I craft a mission statement that's really going to resonate with people? What a great question. This is something I actually struggle with with new clients. We have something called the business builder and we do this for folks. I call it step zero. And it's step zero because I really feel like you should have done this before you got into business. And that's not me <laughs> trying to be combative. I get a little snarky. But really, you want to know mission, vision, values, voice. Those four things. Mission, vision, values, voice. Mission is just what are we doing? And the way I like to look at mission is I steal from Stephen Covey and we begin with the end in mind. What do I want the world to look like after I'm successful with my mission? Hmm. So, you know, speaking from uh, personal experience, I have, a, I have a passion for small business because my dad's a small business owner and I can see the impact that it made. More than that, my dad has told me multiple times because we're immigrants or the children of immigrants, we have a responsibility to the country that has adopted us to help people employ themselves or to employ them ourselves. That's the way that we can give back and the best way we can give back. And that hmm. kind of amplifies that whole small business message. So I look at my world and my worldview and I think, okay, my mission is to help small businesses grow. And that's broadly stated, but that's a really damn good mission. And you can leave it there, by the way. You don't need to dive any deeper. You know what I mean? There's all those people that talk about like the smart goals, specific, measurable, actionable, realistic, and time-based. That's great, but we're not talking about goals. We're talking about your mission. And my mission is to help empower small businesses, and I want to help them grow. Once you have the mission out of the way, and the mission is, again, begin with the end in mind. Get to your end result. Too often you see people like halfway painting their mission. You know, we want to build the world's greatest rocket ship. No, you don't. You want the rocket ship to go to the moon, mm. right? So like, make sure you see this all the way through. Your vision is how you're going to do it. Because I can help small businesses, but I want to make sure I'm helping the right small businesses and I want to make sure I'm helping them in the right way. Marketers are liars, all of them. <laughs> I, I love to say that, that every digital marketer is a failed entrepreneur and I think that's true, but I think a lot of marketers are liars. And you'll see a lot of things running around in digital marketing agencies, for instance, like vanity metrics. I'm running a marketing campaign for you and I'm just like, hey guys, look how many likes I got you. Look how many comments there are here. Look how many people are sharing your posts. Well, did it result in a lead? Is a lead converting? Are they mission appropriate? Are they high value? Am I actually making any money? For every dollar I put in, how many dollars do I get out? So your vision needs to be like, I'm not just helping you grow, I'm helping you grow in the right ways. Mission, vision, values. What do you value? What are your principles? And I think that's that's pretty easy. A lot of people are going to go right back to what mom used to tell them. You know what I mean? Like just relying on, on the, the initial principles. But I think that you need to define those for your organization in a way that can be properly articulated to the people that you're hiring because you need to coach to your values. When you hire people and when you review their work, their performance should be coached against the values that you have stated. And if you can't connect what they're doing to the values you have in the organization, they're either doing the wrong thing or you have poorly articulated values. And then the very last thing is voice. Who do you want to be? I'm kind of, let's call it inarticulate, but colloquial 
and I'd like to think maybe even a little funny and sort of irreverent. And that's important to me because those are the people that I want to attract as customers. And so when you have your mission, vision, values, voice, it gives you the opportunity to kind of build a persona as a company and say, hey, here's who I am. We're an entity and we're a real living, breathing organism. And once you have that, now we get to launch off and do, okay, well, what are we doing? What's a specific product? Who are we going after? How are we going to go after them? How do we want to serve them, et cetera? Was that a, a good answer? Did I just... No, that was great. I think it's like, it's so much, I don't know exactly where to go from there. But you know what I, I really hate is the extremely vague mission statement. It's like, what exactly do you do? I don't really understand it. With all the buzzwords too, to alleviate, amplify, and project the way that we enter the space on every platform that we participate in. And then you're like, I have no idea what just happened. Am I mm -hmm. in an elevator? Like, why, <laughs> why were those words strung together? When I do my own writing for our content or for other customers' content, I'm always trying to be as concise as possible and to deliver my message in a way that is easy to scan and read and understand what I'm talking about without having to really spend too much brain power on it. Is that something that you work on as well? I'm going the other way. You are? Actually, okay. Yeah, I'm going the other, the opposite. And this is recent. This is real recent because I used to be like, oh, how, how can we get this shorter? Can we get this shorter? But I've become obsessed with story. And okay. What I've noticed, especially in the realm of email marketing, and one of the organizations that I've been involved with, we, we had the opportunity to test because they have a really substantial email database. Story ends up being the caveat to that rule. Because I do agree with you, by the way. I think it's a good rule to, you know, I mean, just people don't have time. We're exposed to so many brands. You know, I, I forgot the number, but, you know, it's like 1,500 advertisements by the time you reach the end of your day. Mm -hmm. So you, you do need to be very concise. But if you can capture somebody's attention and you can do it with a story, uh, we've seen people read 1500 word emails all the way to the bottom and then click through to the accompanying blog or video in order to, to further engage with the narrative that we're trying to tell them. I forget the name of this, but there's, there's actually a, a psychologist coined a term for the human propensity to want to finish a story. And I forget exactly what it is, but it's something as marketers we can take advantage of. If somebody comes up to you and starts telling you a knock-knock joke and runs away, there's now an itch that you can't scratch. It's actually a cruel thing to do to somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> so if we can do that. Now, you don't want to use it at, at nauseum. And you also want to make sure that the story fulfills. Because if you get to the end of a story and it, it falls flat, there's nothing worse than walking out of a movie that you just hated and the ending was terrible. It's actually better to be in a bad movie that's bad the entire time than be in a good movie that has promise and then ends poorly. Make sure you get good at story, but I actually think that if you're good at story, you get the opportunity now to spread your wings a little bit and broaden your message. You still need to be concise when it comes to calls to actions, what it is you're offering, what they have to do, but I think that we can work to build a relationship with people using content. I will say a specific example kind of about that. Um, I used to have a friend that I worked with. We did some marketing copy together and one of the things we were trying to do was to get people to also try their hand at becoming business consultants. And these are usually people that have either recently retired or are thinking about leaving a safe corporate job and they are mm. going to go into a freelance type of position, which can be kind of intimidating. So he wrote this really long email about Cortez exploring and his ships. And I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And he said that once they got to like a new land, he like burned the ships so they didn't yeah. have a way to go back. So it's like saying you need to burn your ship so you can now take the full leap and really get in there. If you have one foot in one side and one in the other, you know, you're, you're never gonna actually make the leap. And so I was like, oh, but it was exactly like you said, he actually left the message on the other side of the button in the email. And we actually saw a really high conversion rate for that particular email because people are like, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> 
where are you going with this? Yeah, that's such a brilliant example. It's actually, it's better than any of the emails that I've been sending. So he's obviously a pretty brilliant marketer. But yeah, I mean, it tells the story well. One of the things that I have issue with when I first started um, with this company, it was like a lot of jargon, buzzwords, and kind of like filling up the amount of space that you need to fill up on a brochure or something. But at the same time, if it's really hard to churn through, people will just kind of shut down. And so I spent a lot of time cutting out the stuff that I thought was unnecessary or redundant. And about half of our marketing materials were just, we just left off because we're like, you know, I've, we've already said it, we've already been there. Do you find yourself doing that at all when you work with an organization? Do you find if they're writing their own content, is it good or does it always need to be massaged or how do you do that? Yes, not to, not to be a, you know, bounce back and forth between answers, but narrative aside, we're all about headlines and bullet points. You can't say it in a headline and you can't say it in a bullet point, people aren't going to read it. Right. Unless you can start telling me a story, but you're not going to tell me a story on your landing page. You know, like that's very rarely is that going to work for you. So to your point, you need to be very concise and you also need to speak in ways that people understand. A great example for you is we were recently engaged by a, a large scale marketing automation software and they reference their users as people who sell content. And what's interesting about that is we did we did a study with some of their user base and none of them thought of themselves as people who sell content and none of them thought of the stuff that they sell as content. They were like, oh, well, I sell courses. I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. They don't even use the word content wasn't even in their, their, their purview as far as how they were articulating that to other people. But right there, smack dab on the homepage is stuff about selling your content. And so it's not just about being short. It's also about resonating with your avatar, going back to your avatar and understanding how it is that they need to perceive what it is that you're selling and what you're offering them. I feel like content is such a buzzword in itself. Like mm -hmm. it's basically just, a, it could be a story, it could be whatever, you know, but it's just this bucket that everything gets thrown into. It's like, if you're putting it out there online, it's content. Everything is, because the <laughs> podcast is content and the transcription of the podcast will be content. And yeah, it's, you're right. It's a catch-all. I feel like when you change the verbiage, sometimes it helps kind of elevate what the product is. Kind of, you said yourself, you know, you're talking about educational content. So they're educating somebody, but it is with content. I like to use the term when I do videos. So the majority of what I do is like video work. I call them films. I don't call them video, even though, you know, they're like a minute long, right? It's still a film to me. It feels a little bit better than a video, right? I love that. There's a marketer. He's, he's pseudo famous. He's nerd famous. And I won't, I won't poke him in the ribs here on this podcast because I know him, but his whole career has been just naming stuff. So like we've all been doing, you know, split testing as an example forever. But then he comes up and says, you guys, I came up with this red blue optimization channel. And and he just takes all the stuff that we've all been doing, but he like puts like a little, you know, hashtag trademark next to this name and he packages it up inside of a really easy to understand box. And he's done nothing new or unique except name it, but he's made like truly millions of dollars naming things. <laughs> and I mean, you know, that's unfair to do. He explains it really well and he has really awesome courses and everybody here knows who he is. And so I'm probably outing him already without saying his name. but. It's that's how valuable it is, is a guy can make an entire career off of taking stuff that everybody else does and just explain it simply and name it well. So let's keep moving along. I'm going to like pretend that we're like working with this hypothetical client and, you know, and they've they've got their avatar who they're selling to and they're very clear on their, their vision and their mission and, mm -hmm. you know, their messaging. Where then do they need to move from there to be successful? I need to know what their goals are and not just their marketing goals, but their goals for their business. And the reason I need to know what their goals are is because based on your goals, your marketing is going to change significantly. If your goal is immediate monetization, and that's 80% of the organizations that we engage with, right? Then we need to look at what product sells the fastest with the highest margins. Because you know, if you say, oh, this thing is great, but it is a two-year sales cycle, and you're judging my efficacy off of a 90-day 
period, then those two things aren't going to connect. And so let's assume that the goal is immediate monetization, because I think that's pretty safe. I think for most organizations, especially small businesses, let's say, you know, sub 10 million a year uh, gross revenue, your goal is immediate monetization, figure out what product doesn't require explanation because what i'm going to tell you to do is i'm going to i'm going to tell you to find intent once you've you've established your mission vision values you know what it is you're selling you know how to articulate it you know who your avatar is now you need to go figure out where the bottom of your funnel exists so we've all you know everybody can picture a sales funnel in their mind eye and at the top of the sales funnels people just kind of vaguely aware that they have a problem and as they travel down it they know that okay maybe what you have is a potential solution and then they start identifying solution providers etc 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 but there are people there at the extreme bottom of the funnel and it's my car is on fire, what do I do type of, of search queries. So find the on fire extreme bottom of the funnel. And you know, I mean, uh, an example, I guess, that I can give you, just trying to think through this, like if you're, if you're a plumber, then flooding is your bottom of the funnel, right? So like buying a new house might be your top of the funnel, but uh, my house is flooding is your extreme bottom of the funnel. And then you want to figure out how well you match with your bottom of the funnel prospects and travel up the funnel. Why? Because immediate monetization happens at the bottom of the funnel. The top of the funnel, which is where so many marketers start, that's just list building. You're building awareness, but you're not going to make any money because if you're at the top of the funnel, I have to educate you. And then I not only have to educate you, I have to compete against all the alternatives, not competitors, mind you, alternatives. Because Southwest Airlines' competitor is United Airlines, but their alternative is Greyhound Bus or a road trip. And so <laughs> taking you, finding you at the top of the funnel and then dragging you all the way down to the bottom of the funnel takes time. But if I can find you at the bottom of the funnel, my computer got hacked. That's a bottom of the funnel key phrase, right? Like I need a new computer now, or my website is down. That's a bottom of the funnel. Find people at the extreme bottom of the funnel and figure out where you fit. Here's why I say figure out where you fit, because you're going to have to pay for that traffic and bottom of the funnel traffic is expensive. And this is when and where you get to identify how competitive your market is. Because if you say my computer got hacked and you find out, wow, my cost per acquisition on a hacked lead is $50 and I make $45 on this prospect, that means that somebody's willing to pay more for that prospect than you are because they probably have a better ascension model. So all you're doing is fix, fixing a hacked computer. What the other guy is doing is fixing the hacked computer, losing $5, but also selling software on the other end, value-added reseller service on the other end, ongoing service providers, you know, sign up for my two-year, whatever, yeah. whatever. At the extreme bottom of the funnel, you get to identify where your competition is, how much your, your cost per acquisition is going to be, what people are willing to pay, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You might find out, hey, I'm priced out of this market. And that might actually be enough for you to move on and say, you know what, let's go look at another product or service or market. This is really important because if you start with top of the funnel avenues, you're going to find out that you're priced out of that market, but you're going to find out way too late. Hmm. So let's, you know, using SEO as an example, SEO, they say it takes 90 days. That's a lie. It's six, nine, 12, 18 months before you can rank for high commercial intent key phrases. You want to spend 18 months qualifying a key phrase only to find out when you get to the end of that key phrase that you can't adequately compete. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you want to find out wherever intent is. Intent oftentimes, it, it even exists in an analog level. I think PPC is the best place to start, but I'm a Google ads guy. So of course I would say that, but find <laughs> wherever the bottom of your funnel is and then start there. So I like that idea because you, you find those customers immediately, but what about products or services that require more education for someone to need to actually purchase? And that's gosh, it's such a brilliant question. And this gets a little meta. So stop me if you think I'm dancing around it. <laughs> it's okay. Within the confines of their understanding, there does exist a bottom of the funnel. So I have a disease, like for instance, I have Hashimoto's. That's something I actually struggle with. Let's say I didn't know I had Hashimoto's though. So now you're a Hashimoto's doctor who needs to go find Hashimoto's patients. 
Well, there is a bottom of the funnel for a Hashimoto's patient who doesn't know they have Hashimoto's and it's, I have extreme fatigue. What do I do? Like, it's not, how do you characterize certain things? It's not top of the funnel learning. They've gotten now down to a point to where I have to figure this out, but I don't necessarily know what the problem is. So identify the bottom of the funnel in as much as it exists for your avatar and then work to educate them. And what's really nice is it's not finding them at the bottom of their funnel and then moving them to the top of your funnel. Oftentimes there's reciprocity in the pivot. So they're at the bottom of their funnel and all you have to do is educate them. And now they're immediately at the bottom of your funnel. And, and I realize I'm speaking kind of vague terms, but was that an effective answer? Was that helpful? That makes sense yeah. because the term that we use a lot is pain points is finding those, those areas where the person is saying, you know, this is what my real struggle is right now. And if I could fix this, I would be so much happier. And But that is the bottom of the funnel. When you're talking about finding them at the bottom, bottom of the funnel and then monetizing them, how do you put them into a situation like you were talking about with the hacking, where you might be able to re-monetize them with other services, other things you can provide, or you know, getting them... I, I feel like almost if the customer isn't educated en enough, they may not be the type of customer who would recommend you to other people, which is, you know, we all know the best way to get the most marketing bang for your buck. Sure. I, I struggle with this with some of our clients because they don't have very good ascension models. I can tell you that I don't think digital marketing is, is well suited for organizations that are one and done organizations. I think the cost per acquisition for a new customer is so high and everybody's heard all the cliche data, right? Like it's, I forgot, but 11 times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to keep an existing one or whatever the number is. I think the cost per acquisition is so high that if you're selling a sprocket and you're selling it to one guy, one time, one guy or gal, I can't help you. And I don't mean to Dis be dismissive, but what I'm telling you, I'm actually trying to help. Like, I, I, I can't help you. I need someone who comes to me and says, here's the Ascension model for my customer. And if you don't have that, I actually kind of turn the question back around and, and say, hey, I'm just the marketer. We need to work on your business. And the best way to do that, I think, is to look at your avatar, right? So, okay, I help uh, private schools with their documentation. And once the documentation is in place, we're done. Well, hey, what else does a private school need? You're already in there. You're already a trusted vendor. You already have their credit card number on file. Can you help them with their CRM setup? Can you help them with their, you know, vendors, with their sourcing, with their materials? Like, don't think about your paradigm. Don't necessarily think about just what I'm good at. Think about your avatar now. You're already in there. What now can we do for them with integrity that will work on an ascension? And that's the way that I think people should approach it. And a, a good example for your model with an actual customer we have. Um, we have a restaurant that also does catering. So if you're in yeah. the restaurant and you're eating, you know, that's a one and done transa transaction maybe, but right. you want them to keep coming back. So you have specials, you have new menu items, you have things that are going on. While you're there, you also see the banner. Oh, we also do catering. Oh, you know what? My son's wedding is coming up. That would be great for that. So now you're kind of, that's the Ascension model, right? For that organization. You're exactly right. Yeah, Ascension and Retention. And where, where, you know, a restaurant might not have, I think catering is a great example, by the way, but a restaurant might have not have multiple avenues for ascension, then focus on retention. And then some organizations like uh, braces, orthodontia, there's no, there's no ascension. Once you've had braces, your braces are done, or excuse me, there's no retention. Once you've had braces, your braces are done. I can't keep you coming back for braces, but I can ascend you. We can do like whitening all on four. You've probably got a sibling, that type of thing. So we've been talking kind of about getting that sale and all that stuff. Um, what about kind of like building up the reputation that you have in your industry? So if you're somebody who's new or somebody who's old and having trouble, you know, keeping the market share, how do you mm -hmm. keep top of mind awareness with your potential customers? 
without establishing thought leadership, and I'll point to this podcast as an example, what you guys are doing, I mean, it's brilliant. It's truly brilliant. And and I've been listening to a couple of your episodes and the questions will get you nowhere. Perfect, but take note, everybody. Um, <laughs> this is a really good example because if I was shopping for an agency that does what your agency does, I would listen to this, right? Because I imagine it's not it's not a, a small ticket item per se. It's 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 a decision that somebody has to make. I'm not just going to go onto your website and sign up for a, an appointment anymore. I don't think people do that any longer. There's a statistic that has since been debunked, but I still believe in the spirit of it. They say that 67% of a purchasing decision decision is made before anybody ever reaches out to sales. I think that came from Roster and Co. And even though it was debunked, I still believe that the vast majority of the purchasing decision is made before they're ever willing to talk to you. And that means that they're reading your blogs, they're listening to your podcasts, they're going to your social channel, they're engaging, they're learning who you are. Digital marketing is nothing more than relationship building online. So you have to give them the opportunity to build that relationship with you. And if you're not creating high value quality content, which like we said is the only thing that exists on the internet, it's this very big catch-all bucket, but do it on whatever terms you want to do it on. If you like video, go shoot a bunch of YouTube videos and don't let yourself get caught up in the trap thinking, oh, these have to be insanely high production. Look at Gary Vee's initial videos when that dude started. They are crap, but he's funny and he's engaging and he's awesome and he's honest. And people like them. So you don't need to focus on production value. You'll get there, I promise. But create content in whatever context works for you. And that can and should at least begin the process of people starting to get to know you. And here's what's really interesting is not everyone's going to like what they see. As a matter of fact, you better hope that's the case. Because if everybody likes what you're, what you're putting out, then it just means it's diluted. If you're not pissing at least a couple of people off, <laughs> then you're not trying hard enough. So create some content. And I think that's the beginning of, of establishing a really powerful online brand is content that people can engage with. I think that's a really good example because while I know that Gary Vee is very successful in what he does and his production value has gotten higher, I find him really annoying. And so I, <laughs> I used to you know listen to the podcast and watch some of the videos and I was like, I just can't keep this up. There's there's a right level for everyone, so there's a right customer for everyone. I'm more of a Joe Rogan. He's like a low-key annoying. I love Rogan. <laughs> yeah. I like Rogan. I like uh, uh, Tim Ferriss, too. I feel like he's yes, he's annoying in his own condescending way. <laughs> he yeah. is nerd famous, though, as well. That's where you aim to be, right? He is nerd famous, yeah. <laughs> oh, if I could get as nerd famous as Tim Ferriss, I'd, yeah, I'd be happy. Let's keep kind of talking about best way to get out there. So we're talking about like thought leadership. That's a really good way to get out right. there. I'm starting to get more into SEO and exactly how it works. And, you know, I, I've, I feel like it's one of those moving targets. Like mm -hmm. you can spend a lot of time researching it and then you can, you know, meet somebody else who tells you exactly the opposite. So as far as like, maybe you can explain to me as you understand it, what are the best SEO practices for somebody who wants to rank for certain terms in their industry? So this is my favorite topic ever. I can tell you that any attempt to manipulate rankings is a violation of Google's terms of service, which means that SEO is a violation of Google's terms of service. Anybody who tells you, oh, we only practice white hat SEO, they're lying through their teeth and they don't even know they're lying. They're just full of it. Like Google has actively said, stop messing with stuff. You guys, we're going to rank you because we're good at that. Now, does that mean you shouldn't do SEO? No, it doesn't. You should definitely do SEO and you should pay me to do it. But you need to be intelligent about the way that you approach it. So here's my first, the first statement that I'll make is I think the technical SEO is non-existent as a recurring service. So many of your listeners right now are probably paying somebody 500 bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month or $5,000 a month to do recurring technical SEO. And they get this report at the end of every month and it's a bunch of stuff they don't understand. It's like, oh, well, we updated your, your meta tags and changed title tags and, you know, altered some alt text and your robot.txt file has been updated. And what they are doing is lying to you. That's all fluff work. Technical SEO is important, but it's a one-time job. Here's what I do. I outsource my technical SEO to a guy named Michael Cottom. 
I'm not an affiliate. I'm not going to get paid for this. Michael Cottom is the smartest SEO for hire. He trained directly under Rand Fishkin. Rand owns Moz.com. Moz Moz is Google's watchdog. Everybody knows Rand. You can't hire Rand. You can hire Michael. He's super expensive. I think (laughs) as of today, he's 350 bucks an hour. What I have Michael do is he goes through and he audits every single client site that I do SEO for. He hands me this great, big, long, ugly list. And when he's done, it costs me a couple of thousand bucks. I hand that list to the client's developer and I say, do all of these things. When they do those things, congratulations, technical SEO is done. You never do technical SEO again, except maybe having Michael review your site once every year for an hour or so, just to make sure that the new updates you've made haven't impacted anything. Now technical SEO is finished. Now I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for saying that, but I I have a very strong belief in it and I have a lot of data to prove that technical SEO is not going to have the impact past the initial point of creation. So stop paying people to do technical SEO. Before you get any farther, there there are people that are listening to this podcast. We we got a lot of maybe... um, older, less technical savvy people. So technical SEO is basically setting up your website correctly so that Google can read it in a way that it will make sense to Google and to try and put those search terms that people are searching for to find those search terms, right? That's correct. Yeah, you nailed it. It's I mean, There's a lot of nuance. You know, there's schema and markup and uh, nomenclature and canonical tags and all this crap that people use to confuse their buyer. I'm of the strong opinion that if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough, which goes back to what we talked about earlier about clarity and messaging. Once you're done with your technical SEO, which again is a one-time deal, then you're going to create quality content. And your content to steal from Rand Frischkin needs to be 10 times better than anybody else's content on that topic. If you can't do that, don't do it. You suck, right? <laughs> like Google's job is to rank the most relevant result in that context. Now realize that if somebody, if you're a realtor in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you feel like, gosh, I can't ble- beat every realtor in the world, you don't need to because Google's going to give somebody a realtor in Scottsdale, Arizona. Know who you're competing against, but your content needs to be 10 times better than everybody else's content. It needs to be long form. HubSpot has done many, many studies showing that long form content outranks short form content. 2,000 words tends to be the line of demarcation that they've drawn. You want to make sure that it's very skimmable. So a lot of headings, great bullet points, because what people will do, and this, I think it comes from true conversion, but I might be wrong, but what they found after a screen recording, you know, 100,000 sessions or whatever, is people land on a page, scroll all the way to the bottom, skim first, and then go back to the top and start to read. So you want to make sure that somewhere in this skim, you've captured their attention enough for them to come back to read. Use custom imagery, use custom videos and create high quality, we call them power pages. If you have a widget or something that you sell, create a high quality power page and then continue to blog about all of the numerous facets of that. That's step one, and I'll put that on a shelf for a minute and travel to step two, which is the only other step, which is you need to earn or buy, oh my God, I can't believe I said that, earn or buy high value links. If you're gonna earn them, then you have to do the super annoying thing where you go out and say, hi, my name's Kostum, I'm with Solutions 8, and I was hoping that I could post a guest blog on your site which everybody hates. Or you can just go to Audience Bloom or Fat Joe and you can buy the links and you know, it costs you three grand to get a link on entrepreneur.com. But it is rocket fuel for SEO. And I mean, it's not like entrepreneurs are just gonna give you that link. You also mm-hmm. have to earn it and have something important to say, but that's that's what Audience Bloom does for you. They, they sort of mitigate that conversation. You can hire an agency to do those things for you, but that's all they're gonna be doing is creating quality content and earning or buying quality links. If they're not doing those two things, then whatever they're doing is worthless for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the worst part. You ready for this one? You can do both those things and you can do them well and you can still not rank. Because if you're creating two blogs, and the guy down the street is creating four and you're buying two high value links and the guy down the street is buying four and you don't know that, it's not like Google's gonna come out of the woodwork and say, hey, stop, give up, it's it's a dead end. <laughs> uh, you're just always gonna be on the top half of the second page. And if you're on the top half of the second page, that's the best place to hide a dead body because nobody goes there. Um, 
So that's that's SEO, I yeah. think, in a nutshell. And it will continue to change. You know, everybody talks about how oh, SEO is always changing. It's not. Google's intention from the very beginning, their mission, if you will, is to help people find the end result the fastest, the mm -hmm. best end result the fastest. So if you want to rank, be the best end result. Be the answer to the question. If you can be the answer to the question, you're going to rank. If you can't, you won't. My brother just started a new job as a content writer specifically. He had been doing marketing services before then and was doing other things as well, but they hired him specifically for content writing. And I was thinking, is this the next maybe boom area for those people that are writers that are displaced? So like the journalists or the people that are professional writers and they no longer have a job because the markets have changed, right? Content writing is a very valuable skill and very tough thing to do well. And yeah. I feel like those people that understand that are worth their weight in gold. Without question. You got, I'm gonna poke somebody in the ribs now, but you got idiot agencies out there like Text Broker that are selling content at you know, $7 a word or seven cents a word or, or whatever it is. And, and you will never get anywhere with that. You're not going to rank for it. If anybody lands on your page and sees it, they're not going to engage. You need a writer that that you know, that knows you, that cares, that's good at what they do, that knows how to articulate value, that understands the difference between different content mediums. If I post to Twitter and I post to Facebook and it's the same post, they need to be written differently. There's two different demographics. Facebook and Instagram aren't the same thing as much as people think they are. It infuriates me that in Facebook Ads Manager, you can actually just clone ads over to Instagram. Why would you do that? Those are two entirely different networks with entirely different personalities and entirely different paradigms. So you need a content writer that understands the nuance and the important of how people are going to engage with the content as much as what the content's going to be. So we're talking about written content. Do you feel like other media is also going to be as important and which ones do you see kind of being most valuable? Podcasting for sure. That's why I'm investing in what I'm doing here. I want to be on as many podcast interviews <laughs> as I possibly can be because I think that I, interestingly, even though everybody talks about, you know, the saturation of podcasts, I think we're in early stages. This is how you really connect with folks. Joe Rogan's a great example. I think he's the voice of a generation and he did it through podcasts. Video marketing is interesting, but it doesn't have the longevity. So if you want to, if you want to do the video game, that's perfectly fine, but realize you have to create two videos a day, every day for the rest of your life, because you will, you will lose rank almost immediately the minute your video is done, even if you're a really high ranked video creation agency or whatever you want to call it. Uh, podcasting appears to have the, the same longevity blogging used to have which is why I'm so interested in podcasting. A really high quality podcast with, with effective rank appears to stick around. And, and I've noticed Google starting to rank those more and more. There's still not a, an ultra effective way to determine which podcasts are the best or the highest reviewed or the most listened to because there's no kind of like singular podcast conduit. Someone will solve that. I expect that it's going to be Google. They're going to have to pierce the iTunes veil, but they can do that because they've done it with Facebook. But as soon as that's done, you're going to see the commoditization of podcasts. And I'm sure you guys are already getting phone calls and emails asking people to promote products or services or whatever. So that'll happen too. But I think podcasting is, is definitely something to pay attention to. I think that's a slippery slope. And we use this podcast only for the purposes of putting out high quality information and promoting ourselves and talking to people that we know are experts so that we can pass on that information. And I feel like it would dilute us if we were to say, you know, also go to ZipRecruiter and do, you know, like they all do. So I think it's interesting slippery slope with podcasting because I feel so many really good podcasts are diluting themselves by just filling themselves up with ads because they can. But I know that's also part of their strategy. You know, ours is this is a, a marketing strategy for our organization and it's not a revenue stream per se. It's about the people that will come to us saying, I heard your podcast. I like what you had to say. I'd like to do business with you, help my organization. It, that is very interesting. As far as video goes, I know we're talking about kind of like ranking and SEO. I really feel like 
if you're an organization and you don't have a good video that introduces yourself to people and helps people put a human face to your organization, that you're kind of missing the boat in that that regard. And a lot of our customers, they want that. They want the, the introduction before the introduction. So mm. when someone walks into their store, to their restaurant, to their practice, they go, oh yeah, I saw that video with you. And you know, you talked about your values and stuff and that's why I wanted to come in because I feel like I know you. I think that's a great point. Um, it's something we struggle with with clients because you need the person who's willing to be the face. And I'd say shooting from the hip, half of the organizations I work with don't have that. And, and it doesn't mean that somebody doesn't want to do it. It also means that, you know, oftentimes the organization is not willing to invest in a single person, right? Because mm -hmm. now you've put your eggs in a basket that could leave you. So video has been a struggle. It's not that it's a bad idea. It's that it's logistically difficult oftentimes to pull off. Um, I don't think animated video is anywhere near as effective as, as personal video. I hate those. Um, sorry? <laughs> I hate those, uh, The like, you know, we'll make a little animated video for you. It just is so annoying to me. And it kind of devalues the market for actually really good animators. These little mom and pop, you know, pop up, give us $400, we'll make you an animated video thing. Like, yep. actually yeah. get a graphic designer, an animator to make one of these for you if that's what you want to do. Yeah, they've got those little kits now in Theme Forest, and you can just make your own explainer, and they're all crap. And nobody watches them. I, I think that if you're going to create a video, just like with anything else, a blog or a podcast, it really needs to be engaging. But to your point, it's a it's a phenomenal way to brand yourself. We actually send out a video to people right after they sign up for us. Our, our primary lead magnet is a free PPC audit. And after you sign up for the free PPC audit, an email goes out to you saying, hey, and it's me, saying I'm the founder. I just want to let you know, like, excited to work with you, but here's what you need to know about PPC. And I actually push them away. And we often see, because people schedule with us on Calendly, we see people go in and cancel after that email goes out. And that's great, because my sales team now doesn't have to waste their time. But I also saved the prospect their time too, and we use video to do that because they never, ever, ever, ever read the email, but they'll watch the video. So I like using it on the front end, I like using it on the back end. We send out our monthly reports every month on the 15th, and what I like is our project managers will go in and actually record a video using Loom, you know, screen capture the Google Ads dashboard, there's a little avatar there in the corner so you can actually see their face, and then they walk through everything, and it saves us an hour-long phone call mm -hmm. in a 12-minute video. So I think video has a ton of utilitarian value. And especially with, you know, the availability of more broadband, um, you know, it used to be a thing where videos were tough for everyone to get wherever they are, but now, you know, you can watch them off on your cell phone if you really want to. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It gets a little awkward when a video starts to play and you don't realize the video is going to play and you're like, you know, in the middle of whatever. I was at a parent-teacher <laughs> conference and I was supposed to be paying attention to my kid's teacher at the front and, and all of a sudden my video started going off and I was like, oh, it caught me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, how are you, what are some things that you're doing to keep up with the everyday changing of this digital marketing world? Where are you getting some of your resources from? Where are you finding or, or, or getting your knowledge? So I'm a digital marketer certified partner. All my employees have to go to digital marketer and do their certification and training. Okay. It's actually part of our hiring process. So from a philosophical perspective, I rely on them really heavily because they do a great job at it. When it comes to our specific niche, which is paid advertising, I forgot the exact data point, but Facebook makes 200 plus changes in their dashboard a week. 200. It's insanity. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. And so you just open the Facebook dashboard and you realize, oh, this is different now. And then they, they deprecate things like all of a sudden power editor doesn't work any longer. And then third party applications you can use like, you know, Ad Espresso, which I thought was great, stops functioning quite as well. And it's you're on this like steaming train moving a million miles an hour trying to balance plates that are all spinning on a stick. It's, it's very, very, very difficult. That's why we niched down so much. My agency is called Solutions 8 because we used to have eight core service offerings. And back in the day, we did it really well because the internet was so simple. 
You know, like setting up PPC yeah. was just a 12 option dashboard and then you were done. And as time has worn on, it's gotten so hard that we've just narrowed down and said, okay, we're only going to do this one thing and we're just going to do it really, really, really well. And by the way, it's still hard for us to keep up on. My AdWords team is in the top 1% of all AdWords providers in the world for performance and customer care. We're PPC assassins. It's still hard <laughs> for us to keep up. So yeah. I think that for everybody out there, it's it's important to get really focused and get very vertical specific, very niche specific, and just stay your lane. Mm -hmm. It's okay to kind of reach out and consult on things. I think philosophically, you can kind of, you know, start to insert yourself elsewhere. But when it really comes to pressing buttons, you know, I don't know anybody who can, you know, fly an SR-71 Blackbird and also pilot a submarine. I don't think that that person exists. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe there's right. the Elon Musk of the world that can pull it off. But for the most part, you just got a guy or gal that just does that thing. Right. right. So I think it kind of goes back to the point of, in marketing for if you're an organization or if you're a company that's providing marketing services for organizations, it's about never stopping that education, right? You're absolutely right. And I mean, if you're a large enough organization too, and you have the people to dedicate towards the learning and the management, I think that you, you can pull off a little bit more. We're small. I've got 12 employees. You know, there's not, there's not a whole lot that we're going to be able to do outside of just a, a certain number of tools on our tool belt. I also hope I didn't just offend you guys. I don't know exactly what your business setup is. So I'm not trying to, I think ours works a little bit differently in the fact that you're working with like a global audience, correct? And so then you're trying to niche down for all the people for this very specific service. Mm -hmm. And we do that as well when it comes to organizational consulting because we have a network around the world of people that do what we do. But as far as marketing services that we're providing for local customers, we're just doing it here in our area code. And so being the experts on marketing in our area code is easier than being our being the experts like even in the state of Texas right. or the US, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's not as difficult for us to know more about marketing than anyone in this area code, but it would be a lot more difficult to know more about marketing than anyone in the world. Right. Well, and you're going to know nuances that we don't know. You know, the, the, the terms people use, ways that people refer to certain geographic regions that aren't necessarily on Google Maps. Right. We were in St. Louis. My wife is from there and everybody kept saying the loop. And I'm like, what the hell is the loop? Because when I Google <laughs> the loop, it wasn't there. Right. But that's what they all called this thing. And if I were running PPC there, I never would have known. So localized marketing and localized marketers, if you can get them, that's where to start on a local level because a national marketing firm is never going to know what local marketers are going to know. I had somebody saying we need to do more advertising in East Waco, but East Waco is actually north if you're looking geographically. So if you were not from here, you'd have no idea what that meant. It's based on the river. <laughs> so yeah, it's on this side of the river and that's north, but it's actually east. <laughs> so That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> um, excellent. Is there anything else that's like that people don't usually ask you about marketing that is one of those things that really blows people's minds when you kind of talk to them about best ways to get in front of people to be profitable, things like that. The thing I, I like to put in front of clients the most that I think is maybe a ninja trick that people don't know to ask is it's related to the pivot. I think that just going back to knowing your avatar, it's important to know what else your avatar buys. And the example I like to use the most because it's one that we did really well. I had a client who uh, was selling numismatic coins collector's coins, gold and silver, silver bullion as well. But what we found was it was all preppers. Mm. All these preppers were running around buying numismatic coins. And so I ended up, we ended up with this real estate client, another agency I own, it's called GeoFlip. We focus specifically on real estate um, investors and a real estate client that came in through GeoFlip had a bunch of land to sell. And the land had air rights, water rights, mineral rights. We were having a really tough time because nobody was searching for the land. Mm. So, you know, the search intent just wasn't there. But I, I remembered back to our, our bullion client and I was like, 
we've got this insane list. And we actually ended up owning the list because of the, the relationship we had with them. The people that purchased bullion were the perfect avatar for people that also purchased land because they're all preppers. And so <laughs> it ended up working out amazingly well. And, and what's interesting about that is you could actually set up search criteria for that, right? You could create lead magnets for it. You could create mm -hmm. content for it. And yeah, you might not be searching to buy land, but I know you'll buy these coins. And so I'll use this as my loss leader. And then, oh, hey, by the way, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So start thinking to yourself about what else your avatar buys. You know, you might be a doula, right? Or, or a, a midwife or you work at a birthing center. So what else does potential new mom buy mm -hmm. if she's not shopping for a doula or doesn't even know that such a thing exists? And that's like a thousand things, right? Because all new moms, when my wife got pregnant, the instant she got pregnant, my Amazon bill just went through the roof because it's like, <laughs> oh my God, we got to buy. We were preparing for the end of the world. Mm -hmm. And so there's a million products you get to choose from and just hone in on one. And then, you know, from that say, oh, and by the way, did you know, et cetera. And I, I call that the pivot. I don't know if there's a better name for it. Well, and that kind of goes back to knowing your avatar. So if you know them really well, you're going to know what other things they may want to purchase. You're exactly right. Well, this is the part of the podcast where I'll let you kind of promote yourself, your book, your website, all the stuff you do. Yeah, don't buy the book. It'll just bore you. Just hire us. <laughs> um, it's not a bad book, but I don't know why. I don't know why business owners read about marketing. I, you know, it's like it's like reading about dentistry before you go to the dentist just go find someone who's good at it and, and hire them my website is the company solutions eight the website's sol8.com that's sol the number eight.com we focus uh, almost exclusively on google ads so if you need help with uh, google ppc hit us up we're rock stars love to work with you we offer everybody a free audit so we'll audit your campaign at no charge i'm really happy to get to know you before you became nerd famous yes. nerd famous <laughs> very nice meeting you I, I learned a lot. That was really fun. See, really for me, it's I, I want to learn stuff and yes. I just ask you what I want to know. And then I yeah. make a podcast for everyone else. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Right, bye. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at HPL underscore podcast and shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.